Mm. Welcome to the fifth episode of ASML 2011 Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Armstrong, and joining me as always is the Canadian who was distracted before we started this podcast by the height of his stirrup, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the guy who likes it when a man accelerates, David Bindley. Oh, sorry, wrong season. Stop referencing things that are going to get back referenced. (laughs) I love that Logan has no idea what I just said. (laughs) No, I'm just like, well, I'll get it eventually. Maybe. This is going to fuck with the timeline. We're chronologically confused. Is this an angry video game nerd episode? It's just non-linear mole. I mean, it's as ridiculous as Netflix's version of the mole. I'm just going to put that out there. It probably will have been shit. We're recording this before that actually comes out. But talking of things that aren't shit, this is a fun episode. Fun for the viewer or fun for the contestants? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because it starts with some people trafficking, and then it continues with probably the most Peter Yan Peter Yan has ever been on a mole episode. What's interesting is that the past couple days, Eastern Can has been hit by Hurricane Fiona, and it looks like this episode, Nicaragua, has also been hit by Hurricane Fiona. I had forgotten how disgusting the weather is throughout this entire episode. And the best part is when it says, next time on Via's the Mole, oh, it's still raining. The streets are even more flooded. I mean, if this wasn't Vidim, someone would have got medevaxxed by now, probably from spraining an ankle instead of getting COVID. I'm surprised nobody drowned from how, how badly the streets were flooded. I just, uh, it'd be funny if maybe, the, I was thinking maybe that's why they had to replace uh, Peter Yan as host, because Peter Yan drowned in the streets of Leon, Nicaragua. He's too tall. Pepine, on the other hand. He tried to breathe fire <laughs> to, to get rid of the water. It just... It didn't work out too well. It's not very effective. The unaired trial run of Belkia's uh, coffin escape rooms went horribly wrong in this episode. Yeah, it was like um, the under, more like an underwater grave, like uh, Bin Laden style, or indeed like the uh, the Mole US has done. Oh yeah, with their underwater yes. charades. Well, the graves weren't underwater. The charades were underwater. The graves were in graves. <laughs> Just to clarify that. <laughs> That's true, the graves had, you know, an open casket funeral and everything. Yeah. Why can't we find the body to any of these people? Where's Annette Benning's body and Harrison Ford and Kenny from South Park? On the subject of what Peter Yan is doing now, I actually found out what Peter Yan's doing now. What is Peter Yan doing now? He's crocheting a blanket. He is. I have a live <laughs> feed to his home. <laughs> I got the guys from Scammer Payback to loop into his camera feed. Because I was editing the Hong Kong Philippines episode where we talk about uh, Belgian Hunted and how they were doing a whole 50-hour hunt for, for their celebrities. And it turns out that Peter Jan Hargens is the uh, the voiceover guy for Dutch Hunted. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so he actually does all the, the voiceover stuff, with the exception of one season, apparently. Huh. Also, Vidim hunted crossover in that one of the former moles won the VIP season, their version of Celebrities, and also Ellie Lust has hosted at least one after show, obviously in Bondal's AS, for a hunted season. I wonder if the three of us were to go to Amsterdam, how quickly we'd be able to identify at least one person who was on Vidim. Because it feels like half of Amsterdam has been on Vidim at this point. 
Yeah, I was going to say, given that about 20% of people in the Netherlands have been on Venom at this point, 23 seasons in when we record this, it's not out of the question. And 20% of whoever's left has been on Expedition Robinson. Very true. So, previously the final eight split into groups to try and stop them all winning a race and take money out of the pot at the end of the season, but both buses broke down due to everyone's inadequacy. They paired up to try and keep information away from each other before a high-flying challenge saw them fail to walk the devil's rope. At the execution, it was Miriana who went home, and we've already forgotten about her. Wait, 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 wait. I thought Mariana was one of the chefs in the kitchen there that they talked about in this episode. And when they got to Nicaragua, they did a toast to Mariana and to Nicaragua. I'm like, oh, yeah, Mariana, I guess she's the she's the head chef. And they're complimenting her on her cooking skills for everybody. Even if they did show the head chef who was apparently called Mariana, we still wouldn't have remembered her by this point. That's why this podcast exists. The Marianas and Vincents shall forever be immortalized. No one's ever going to forget Vincent. And I'm not sure anyone's going to forget Jan after this episode. Interestingly as well, I don't think they told us as the audience that they were going to Nicaragua. I think it was kept hush-hush like the Philippines were until the intro of this episode where the map just shows they're in Nicaragua now. That sounds about right, because I was looking at the credits. The only challenges from the Nicaragua part of the season that are in the credits are the cattle and the jeep from this episode. Like, nothing else from the next five weeks is in there. Yeah, because it's the same with Hong Kong Philippines. There is very little Filipino content in there. Yeah. There's only, like, two or three bits of the intro that are from the Philippines. Pretty much everything else is Hong Kong to mislead them. So everyone knew they were going somewhere, they just didn't know where that somewhere was. Uh, so the intro does confirm they're in Nicaragua. And of course, it being Nicaragua, PCN is on top of a volcano to do his intro. And he says that the mole is leaving the El Salvador with six candidates who have no idea of their next destination, Nicaragua, just a small boat ride, thanks to their people trafficking friends from El Salvador. <laughs> yeah, get into a small fishing boat, we swear this is legitimate. Uh, I don't know what the issue is, it's just a three hour tour. I know I joke about it being people trafficking in this season. But it really is framed as Peter Yana has just given a thousand euros to a random fisherman and said, take them somewhere. <laughs> I'm amazed the weather was good enough for them to take a boat to Nicaragua. I'm amazed the weather was good enough for Anna to change into a bikini. Because she does not board the boat wearing a bikini, but she is very much in a bikini halfway through that trip. Which I'm sure the Salvadorian fisherman really appreciated her changing on the boat. Maybe she got wet during the journey? So did the fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> I walked right into that one. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking, ah, how long is it going to take Michael to, to <laughs> fill in that gap? The jokes keep coming. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I broke you both. <laughs> Podcast is over. Good night. <laughs> Please stop <laughs> edging the jokes. So the episode title is Land in Sight, and Art reminds us that Peter Yan promised a new country in episode 5. They are taken to a small fishing village where a boat was awaiting, just big enough for all of them to fit on. However, they do have to hide their appearances by hiding under blankets, just in case the Salvadorian Navy are anywhere nearby. Didn't somebody say, oh, which country are we going to? And somebody suggested, oh, maybe we're going to El Salvador? 
don't think anyone suggested El Salvador. It was Honduras, I think, was the one that was suggested. No, I thought somebody said we're either going to El Salvador or Honduras. I can't remember them saying El Salvador. The thing I love is there's absolutely no reason for the boat scene because El Salvador and Nicaragua have a land border. Yeah, it's so unbelievably unnecessary and so unbelievably mean to the contestants to just go, board this boat, we'll see you on the other side, have fun. I'm going to quickly Google if El Salvador and Nicaragua border is tumultuous. Well, it's not part of the uh, Dorian Gap. No, I was thinking, yeah, but Dorian Gap's Panama and Colombia. I don't think they ever got to El Salvador in Race Across the World's second series. But I remember them being specifically told how to get across the Dorian Gap so they didn't die. Oh, here's an article from a blog called Destinationless Travel. Here's our experience crossing Central America's most dangerous borders between Nicaragua and El Salvador and why you shouldn't make the trip. (laughs) So instead, we're just going to bung them onto a super suspicious boat, having already defined El Salvador as a country that is a literal war zone, and then just take them surprisingly across the border. Okay, so if you're going from El Salvador to Nicaragua by taking the boat, you avoid crossing Honduras. So it looks like the boat was probably the safest way to go. And if you make it to Nicaragua safely, you win 2,000 euros. It's just the hilarious visual of them basically just being dumped in a fishing village and being told, board that boat, see you later. (laughs) And having no more instructions than that. Like, you've got to imagine, if you were the mole and you were in your pre-season briefings and just being told yeah halfway through the season we're going to smuggle you across in a fishing boat is that okay with you and the mole if they were a realistic person would just be going holy shit what are you doing to me like seriously this is not go back to where you came from this is meant to be a legitimate show that isn't all about people smuggling the best part for me is that they played the Jamaican reggae music that sounded like it was straight from uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 Yeah, what they had to do was they had a consulting producer from Amazing Race Australia 6, and they said that basically all the music sounds the same, so they could just play some some reggae music and get away with it. Yeah, so they could play that for when, I think the Australian producer said that they were going to Nisa Ragua, I think. I think that was the name of the country he thought they were going to. Yeah, they were trying to find a steel drum version of uh, Waltzing Matilda, but they just couldn't get the clearance in time for the episode to air. That's how the producer said it, but I'm a white person, so I can't repeat how Bo said it. (laughs) (laughs) That was the joke I was expecting to come eventually. So eventually, this is is an absolute mess of a podcast already, I can't wait to edit this one. (laughs) So eventually they do land on a black sand beach, and a man greets them there, welcoming them to Nicaragua. And they are taken to a local ranch for the evening, where they will be staying. And everyone makes jokes about Anna being able to take this episode easy due to her exemption. And Sundos says that in every joke, there is a kernel of truth. I believe it's a Russian expression. And coincidentally, kernel of truth was who led the uh, the military junta in El Salvador and caused it to be a war zone. Caused it to be a war zone. They call him the kernel of truth or the kernel of terror. I can't remember which. And then we get the first P.T. Ann Hagen's dick moment of the episode of at least three that I can think of when he greets them the next morning and officially welcomes them to Nicaragua. And he says they will be stepping into the lives of the gauchos and need to split into two groups, one of four people and one of three. And they decide to split up the good riders and put Pepine with the girls, Sundos, Karen and Anna, and the boys Art, Jan and Patrick are the red team and will be given 600 cows to look after, as will the blue team, who are the others. 
I love how you see Peter Yarn just sort of chilling and look at, looking up when they arrive, and you can tell he's thinking, oh, shit, I thought I left these people in the fog. Who the fuck opened the borders? I thought I'd found a perfectly disreputable fisherman to take them across the border. He was meant to steer them to war tundras, not away. I like how Peter Yan refers to Art and says, Art, you guys, your team is the red team. And Art just looks down at his very bright red shirt and thinks, is this why we're called the red team, just because of my red shirt? I know Peter Yan didn't particularly want Art to take over from him, but sending him on a random boat in Central America to cross a border by boat maybe wasn't the best of his ideas. It could be worse than calling Art's team the red team because he's wearing a red shirt. When Tigo did this challenge, they called him the boob team. They called him the Superman undies team. <laughs> could have been worse. I could have said the skinny dipping team. Remind you of that horror. <laughs> and all the teams have to do is swap their two sets of cows from the grassland to the ranch and the ranch to the grassland, respectively. And they are also told to watch out for blue and red tubes, and all they've got to do is grab their colour tubes from the other team's cows without touching the floor. And the first Peter Yan Dick moment is, of course, his wonderful smile when everyone realises how impossible this challenge is going to be. It's just herding 1,200 cows. What could possibly go wrong? For a group of seven city people, and one of which has never been on a horse in her life. See, I think there may have been some underestimating for certain people's credentials in this challenge. And I'm mainly thinking of Yan, because he says he's a plain city guy, and he's only ridden a horse once before. But I saw him ride that horse. He was basically professional at riding that horse. He was gunning it at one point. He was going faster than the horse from Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time when it's eaten a bunch of carrots. Just like, boom! Just... And just took off down the grassland. I'm like, man, if he gets thrown off, he's totally going to get Christopher Reeves here. He had zero fear about riding a horse. It is 100% not the second time that he'd ridden a horse. It's like, not only does he have tunnel busy when he plays the game, but he had tunnel busy in terms of where he wanted that horse to go. But yeah, we have to talk about Sundos first, because she's immediately ashamed as she has never ridden a horse before, and she decides not to take part so as to not be a danger to the rest of the group. First time I've asked this question, have either of you ridden a horse? Yes. I've had a horse pull me, but I've never been on a horse itself. There really is some weird shit you can get up to in Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) That is some niche, niche stuff, Saunders. (laughs) It's just your phrasing. How many ping pong balls can you fit inside a horse? <laughs> We're going to get in so much trouble for this podcast, aren't we? Oh, 100%. <laughs> the good news is, this won't come out for another year, so we've got a, we've got a whole year until we get cancelled. <laughs> this is not how I expected this podcast to go, I'll be honest. This is exactly how I expected this podcast to go. <laughs> I was fully expecting like people trafficking jokes, mainly because I knew I was going to make them, but Logan's activities in Thailand, not so much. So, when did you ride a horse then, Bindles? Uh, when I was a kid, my aunt used to work at like one of the big pharmacy manufacturers, and for their Christmas party, it was like a big, big company. They basically got fairground rides and horses and motorcycles and all that sort of stuff, and they, one of the rides was just riding a horse for a little bit. 
So she was putting the farm into pharmacy? Yeah. I did fall off, though, which probably explains a lot. I expected nothing less. Well, you know, it's so high up there and I'm so short. That is true. You had to have a donkey like Anna did, didn't you? You can tell they're in Nikuagra in this episode because the goats are upgraded to donkeys and horses and cows. They've actually got a budget in Nicaragua. Yeah. So the red team are very quick, so quick that one of their calves actually nearly gets trampled. And they have no strategy whatsoever. Anna sees a cluster of cows running to them, and Patrick says that the other team were still there, which meant that it's practically impossible to see their red tubes. Patrick gets distracted by one of the cows, and Art completely misses one of the red tubes as he's adjusting the height of his stirrup. And as we said, Jan manages to isolate one of the cows, and he looks very confident given he's only allegedly ridden a horse once, and it has a tube, but he is unable to grab it. And I believe they refer to themselves as the Three Amigos. I'm of thinking course. who would be Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, and Martin Short. So Patrick says that he suspected Pepine before the challenge, but he did very well at sabotaging in this challenge. He was making the cows run in every single direction. And one of the tubes drops off and Anna grabs it, giving them their first tube. And then, like Bindles, Karen says she's not suited to sit on a horse. She gets very cranky when she does. And if it was up to her, she would never do it again. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, you know, I get cranky when the neighbors are too loud. Or, you know, I, I just I get cranky with annoying customers at work. Not, I get cranky when I sit on a horse. I know hangriness is a thing, but I didn't realize the H was from horses. Yeah, if you had to vote yay or nay on this, I guess Karen would definitely vote nay when it comes to riding a horse. Oh, Logan. We are absolutely on fire on this podcast already. <laughs> and then Anna starts freaking out and says, oh my god, we've got an enraged horde. <laughs> I hope the cows don't revolt. And then we see one of the cows get trampled, the Lion King style in the process. Yeah, yeah, that was the calf near the, the start. Calf, yeah. Yeah. I maybe didn't need an extended close-up of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was weird. Is that a hidden clue? I'm glad the calf was alright. Yeah. But also I really didn't need a good five or ten second segment of a close-up of a cameraman stood right next to said calf without helping it for the record, watching a cow basically get Mufasa'd. Can you imagine the post-production editing suite? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll show this scene. Oh, the bone crunching sound is really loud. We can keep the trampling in, but can we dial down the bone crunching sound effects in this scene? Perfect. That makes the final cut. All it needed is Jonathan Taylor Thomas over the top going, Dad? And it would have been perfect. Unfortunately, Michael, I am not terribly familiar with Jonathan Taylor Thomas movies. You are? It's The Lion King. He voiced Young Simba. Really? JTT did that? Yeah. He was Young Simba and Matthew Broderick was adult, I think. Yeah, I know a lot of the other voices for Lion King, but I didn't know it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas for Young Simba. Yeah, he was Babe Simba. But he was the one who uh, post-Stampede went, Dad? And, you know, made everybody in the cinema cry. <laughs> JTT is one, was one powerful child actor. I think it was more the fact that, you know, you saw a quite graphic animal death on screen rather than JTT, but we'll give him the credit if he needs it. So, talking of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, the Stampede happens and all the cows try and get away from these weird, pale-looking people on horses. Papine and Anna find a third tube that has fallen which are the only three collected for the challenge. 
when they meet up with PTN, the red team have done none, and we get our second PTN dick move of the episode when he insists on telling them they got zero times 250 euros. <laughs> which is 1250 US, which is 1250 more than zero, which is what you got. Yeah. <laughs> At least he didn't call over the penny maester and say, okay, here's your zero <laughs> euros. Well, he still pretty much did that when the blue team collected three, meaning 750 euros of two and a half thousand goes to Patrick as treasurer, despite him specifically being pointed out as doing nothing in this challenge. Thought he was the cow whisperer. He was talking to Betsy number three. Yeah, Peter Yan specifically tells him, you get the money even though you did nothing. His contempt for these people is legendary, and it's only going to get worse. So it's literally the rainy season when they're there, and the heavens absolutely open in Leon. So naturally, it's time for an outdoor challenge. Yeah, well, I was thinking when they listen to that musician, and then Peter Yen does his uh, best impression of the beat poet when he has to translate the lyrics into Dutch, and he says, uh, "Which one of you is good at memorizing and wants to stay inside?" I assumed all seven were going to volunteer for this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Anna is the obvious choice in this challenge because she memorises things for a living, but also I think pretty much everyone would have just not wanted to go outside in that challenge. For a safety issue, it was, is there any one of you that doesn't know how to swim? <laughs> now, have either of you ever ridden a water before? <laughs> <laughs> I got pulled by a water, but I've never been on a water. <laughs> there is some weird shit in Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> How many pee bubbles can you fit in a water? <laughs> it's not a matter of how many you can fit in the water, they tend to float. <laughs> this is definitely going to be a thing. <laughs> but speaking with the tubes, one thing I noticed is that Anna was able to fit a lot of tubes in her bra. It would just be funny if it was if she just kept trying to fit tubes in her bra, like if it was like ten tubes instead of three. And it's just like, how does it still blend in with the rest of her shirt at this point? Probably explains why the men didn't get any. Yeah, that's what they'll. It's like, oh yeah, we didn't really think it through with having an all male team. And then Art says there are eighty-three different words for rain in Dutch, but there's only one word for rain in Nicaragua, which is soaking wet. Uh, that's actually incorrect because the word for rain in Spanish, I believe, is uh, lluvia. Yeah, so art is wrong. So the poem that PTN is reading was written by Ruben Dario, a poet from Leon, the city that they're in. And he's looking for someone who wants to stay inside and has a good memory, to which they select Anna. And she's left with the guitarist, and the other six are taken outside and told that they're free now. Pepine and Art are volunteered to be the first pair, and they must take pictures using a Polaroid camera representing one of six underlined words from the poem that Anna will have to guess later. And they have an hour in total to do all six pictures. This is a really fun challenge. This is a really fun challenge, but it is another one like the horse challenge where there is not a chance in hell that they are going to do well at this challenge. Like, 500 to 1500 was spectacularly good for this group. I don't know, because this is... A weird challenge because this one was recycled but it was recycled from the junior season they did a few years earlier and even like the kids were they, they used i think like some dutch folk tale or something instead of the, the poem but like the 
the kids from memory did pretty well with this challenge. So I think it was possible. I, d- I just think these people are idiots. Yeah, I think this group were never going to do well with this challenge. Yeah. Especially when literally everyone is hiding indoors in Leon because of the torrential rain that is happening there. Yeah, I was thinking this episode if they would have altered any challenges due to the fact that the streets are very flooded. But I think this challenge appeared to just go ahead as normal. And I noticed they didn't really take that much time off the one hour timer. I think they they had one hour and they did all of it in either 27 or 33 minutes. I can't remember if Peter Yan specified how much time it took them or how much time was remaining. It was time remaining, so it's 33 minutes, I think. Yeah. So clearly the pairs were thinking, I cannot even function with how hard it's raining outside and how flooded the streets are. Let's just let's just come up with uh, any idea we could think of whatsoever, take the picture and sprint back because I do not want to be here out one second longer. Yeah, I know that they were taking them to a mystery location in this episode, but I thought it was Nicaragua rather than the lost city of Atlantis. (laughs) If you look carefully in the background of some of these challenges, you can see Aquaman just hanging out there. Here, hold this umbrella, Aquaman. We need to get the picture for wind. So Papine wants to take an easy word, but Art suggests that they depict wind. Almost immediately, they realise that it is a very stupid idea, and they settle on getting a couple to walk against the wind once Papine hands the umbrella back. How are you supposed to guess wind from that? How are you supposed to guess wind anyway? You pretend to you pretend to blow. <laughs> do I need to do a Thailand joke? I'm, I'm, but it's certainly better than a couple holding an umbrella. They didn't even look terrified holding the umbrella. They didn't even pretend like they were floating away. It was lean back and hold an umbrella. Wind isn't even the top 30. If Hannah had 30 guesses, she wasn't going to guess wind. They didn't look terrified because Art took the picture far too early. I'm not even sure he got their faces in it. Well, because it was raining so hard, he probably couldn't even get a clear picture of them because of the rain. And then a lot of the pairs really sucked at shaking it like a Polaroid picture. Well, one of them tried to shake it and it ended up just being a black square. Which I believe Peter Yan said, oh... I didn't know the word you picked was darkness. Such a good line. <laughs> this dude is savage. <laughs> and then I think even later on the challenge when Piriam is sending the picture to Anna, he says, oh, uh, here's another picture that's a bit abstract. And whenever I would do drawings when I was younger, when people would look at them, they're like, oh yeah, it's another one of Logan's abstract drawings. So I can definitely relate to uh, to that insult. The best thing is, the darkness quip and when he hands it to Anna aren't even the best Peter Yan moment in this challenge. I said that this episode was a tour de force one for Peter Yan, but this challenge especially is a tour de force one because it's him just interacting with cold, wet idiots. <coughs> and nothing is better, and Bindles knows what I'm going to say because it's our banner for the week and it is the definitive Peter Yan gif when Art volunteers to stay on and ask for Yan, the logic being that his Spanish will be useful for a hard word they pick Harmony and find some locals who are dressed in the same colours Art manages to only include two of the people and Yan says that the picture looks pathetic 
And when they bring it back to Peter Yan, his reaction is delightful. It is the most contempt I have ever seen a mole host show to anyone in a season. <laughs> because he just basically says, oh, is that it? Okay. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, he did one that was like, ah, oh, interesting. So much contempt in that reaction that I was able to notice it and get the gif, even though the quality of this episode that we're watching is a bit cactus. Mm. And I would say, spoilers for next episode, there is just as good a Peter Yan reaction coming next episode. And he is yet again our banner next episode. By special request of Mr. Bindley. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. And the picture for Harmony was also terrible by art. Two men wearing, one's wearing a blue jacket, the other wearing a yellow jacket, and then two people were partly in it. And then Yan just takes a look at the picture and he says, this looks pathetic, Art. Do you think that Art was deliberately sabotaging to try and attract suspicion here? Yes. This challenge, it sure seemed like it, or he just did not care because of how much he was hating the rain. Yeah, because both times that he takes a picture in this challenge, they are horrifically bad. Well, the, the first time he was just premature at blowing on somebody's face. Just like Logan's time on the tie beaches. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You set him up, I knock him down. <laughs> half of these jokes are getting cut. I'll warn you now. I'll just get a message off Logan later, just going, yeah, can you cut half of them, please? <laughs> it went a bit too far. How many ping pong balls can you fit in a wind? <laughs> <laughs> Depends where the wind's coming from. Whichever way the wind blows. Um... <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm not. <laughs> So I was going to, oh yeah, then in the next challenge, we see Art telling Patrick to be suspicious during it too. So I don't know if Art was just investing his time into being suspicious for this episode and this episode alone. He's definitely trying to attract suspicion, I think, here. Or maybe he realized this challenge is going to be so difficult anyway. So may as well just try to look suspicious when he doesn't think the money's going to go into the pot. He may have had enough foresight to see, oh, okay, this isn't going to work out well. May as well may as well sabotage here. So Jan gets the next choice. He picks Karen, and they pick youth as their word, and he decides to sabotage slightly by giving Karen the initiative, but she was testing him in return by asking what he thinks. They take a picture of a gift bag with one of the Disney princesses on it, which inexplicably is probably the best of the three photos so far despite the fact that nobody apart from Anna is ever going to guess that that is youth. And then the disaster picture. Oh no, we still have one more. <laughs> we have one more before the proper disaster picture. In Karen picking Patrick, and they pick Nicaraguan. And they represent the flag by using the colours, but the photo is taken badly because the Polaroid is utterly saturated by this point, and only the top blue and the white really come out. Yeah, Patrick does... In extreme close-up, and the kid, right away he just does a complete close-up and quickly clicks. And I'm thinking, man, I, I didn't even have to see the Polaroid to know that was going to be an awful, awful picture. And then Sundas is summoned by Patrick next, and her and Patrick pick Sweet. They find a supermarket and take the actually quite logical thing of some candy. Well, they try to, because it comes out completely black 
And as we said, Peter Yan quips, if darkness is one of the answers that he wasn't aware of. (laughs) He is savage. And so brutally quick with these quips as well. I know I mentioned this with with Japan, but I would not want Peter Yan being mean about me to my face. I genuinely think that he's a roast comedian. Yeah, he should be mean about people on a podcast like a normal person. Yeah, exactly. He should get a podcast, he should then come on our podcast to promote it, and we'll just talk to him, and he'll probably be completely bitchy about us, and we'll absolutely love it. That's usually how it works. Yeah. So the final word for Sundos and Papine is birds, and they get three men to pretend to be birds with their hands, which, weirdly, is actually one of the better ideas in this challenge. Then the group are reunited, and Anna says that everyone looked soaked through, not that she's gloating at all having been inside a building with a roof and probably a heater on her for the last hour. I think she said everyone looked like they got their level 2 swimming certificate. She has been memorising the poem and needs to identify the words from the poem using only their pictorial representations. And inexplicably, she guesses youth and birds, meaning 500 euros more than anyone thought they would get in this challenge out of a possible 1500 for the challenge. I like the wrong guesses, though, too, that were hilarious. For Wind, she guessed Owen. She may as well have guessed Owen. And then for Harmony, she guessed Possessed. (laughs) (laughs) And for Nicaraguan, she guessed Daybreak. And for Sweet, she guessed To Open Oneself Up. I did love that one of them was so bad that I think it was Art was like, would you like an explanation? Peter Young was like, just looked at him and just like, no. <laughs> he said, no, not really. <laughs> yeah, it, it was Patrick after the challenge asking if they want an explanation of the sweet incident. And Peter Yan, without missing a beat, just turns around and goes, mm, not really. And walks <laughs> off. I, I have moved on. I do wonder whether Peter Yan had decided that this was his last season and just didn't give a shit anymore. He just decided he wanted to to mess with these people. Or this challenge specifically is what made him done. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as he saw the darkness picture. There is a challenge next episode that I think probably broke him more, to be honest. It's a very interesting challenge. Oh, is that where he gets kidnapped? And he gets people smuggled back across the border into El Salvador. Yeah, it's where he has to... um, he has to do the prototype of Amazing Race Australia 6, and he has to do all of his intros uh, on Zoom. It's a very rudimentary form of Zoom, but he gets kidnapped back to El Salvador and has to do it uh, via video call, including the executions. He has the laptop with him, so that's fine. They just have to kind of watch on a, a grainy laptop feed and see if they've got a red screen or a green one. So Papine says that he trusts Anna implicitly at the moment, and it's purely intuition, but for the third challenge, they have promised to be each other's eyes. Which is, you know, perfectly wonderful for them, given that Anna isn't doing the next test. So even Peter Yan looks absolutely soaked through at the start of the third challenge. They will be driving two 4x4s through a route and must collect all the money, because any money they do collect and arrive in time, he will double at the end of the challenge. And since Art's weird actions at the past two challenges, Anna has suspected him, so she goes with him and Patrick... And the other 4x4, therefore, is Sundos, Karen, Yan, and Pepine. And they've got 45 minutes to drive 7 kilometres along some rough roads, and the money will be attached to red flags that are near poles with mole signs. 
And also this is the the start of the appearances of Tico, because wherever red flags are on the mall, you can always find a Tico. This one isn't really explained super well. It, it took me about two or three times watching this as and just sort of understand what's going on. No, and also because of the terrible weather, it's really tough for them to actually film accurately. Yeah. This one feels a little bit like that detour they did on the Amazing Race one time when they were up in Queensland where like one option was inflate a boat or the other one was you know ride a horse along a beach until you find a flag and then the clue's there. It's basically that task. Yeah, it's a little bit obtuse for a mole challenge, this. Yeah. I mean, it must be really fun for them to do. I'm just not sure it's visually appealing enough for the viewers. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be visually appealing because of how hard the rain is. The camera's going to have a tough time filming much of anything. I think even if it was dry, I don't think it would be that appealing to the viewers. And then the camera operators can't really run with the contestants that well since the water was up to their uh, up to their arms by this point. <laughs> yeah, and they obviously didn't invest in enough GoPros to hide near the red flags where they'll get the money, which made it a bit tougher for them to actually show what happened in this challenge and whether there was any sabotaging or not. Well, it's 20, uh, 2011, right, when this was filmed, or 2010? So GoPros wouldn't have really been a thing at that point, right? They had them for the uh, Devil's Walk, I think. Okay. wonder if they just weren't the most water resistant. Could that have been an issue too? They had some sort of um, some sort of action camera on them for the the uh, Devil's Walk, I think. Whether that was attached to the helmet or not, I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure they had some sort of GoPro action camera of some description. So both Jeeps decide to speed up in order to make it on time. Patrick spots his second flag, and everyone runs out as soon as the pole is spotted. And it's the first time that they've worked as a big group on an assignment. And then Pepine wants to be close to his ally, Anna, but everyone is screaming at him to come back. And then, because he wanted to confer with her, which I don't know why it was that crucial to do it right at that moment. And then when they get back, he's like, oh, I didn't hear you guys, even though all of you were screaming at the top of your lungs to come back. I think the most best tactic here is to try and constantly encourage them to go as a group. Yeah, because then you're you're being twice as inefficient. Yeah, because if if they'd thought about it logically, they should have just had each jeep alternate the flags and hand off, basically. And then they would have got there probably in about 20 minutes. As it happens, they get there in about 44, I think. So they do manage to somehow get all of the money we think. Certainly all the money we see on the episode. But they do it in an incredibly inefficient way and make the mole's job a little bit too easy. Yeah, it was clearly had 67 seconds left when the challenge ended, right? Yeah. And then we have another alliance duo conferring here with uh, Art and Patrick, where Art tells Patrick, try to be as suspicious as possible leading up to the execution. Can you remember if the mole actually sabotaged properly in this challenge, Bindles? Uh, I can, but I'm not sure whether I should mention if or how, just in case Logan did or didn't spot anything. Speaking of which, we didn't really talk about how the mole was sabotaged in the previous two challenges. Yeah, I don't think it's that easy to sabotage in the photo challenge, because at most the mole, unless they are Anna, and in the key position, is going to be able to keep... 500 euros out of the pot. 
Well, you could be like Soundos and put the Polaroid in your shirt and not have it develop, so there's 0% chance of Hannah being able to guess the word. Yeah, but I mean, the mole's impact if they are in the photo-taking team is two of the six photos. The mole's impact if they're Anna is obviously potentially six, although, you know, she did still get some right. And in the first challenge, well, it was an absolute mess, but I think it's, even in a smaller group, like with the horse challenge, it's quite tough for the mole to do too much sabotaging in terms of nicking the tubes and then not declaring them or something like that. They would just be ignoring the tubes for the most part in that one, I would assume. Yeah, but the problem is both groups are so compact, with the exception of Jan obviously doing his action hero thing and going off on his own. Everyone was together that it's very difficult for them to nab a tube and not have it be seen. Yeah, Jan was determined to get into Honduras by horse, I think. The mole's best tactic, I think, in the horse challenge is to just cause as much chaos as they can and try and make sure all the cows go together so it's doubly as difficult to find any tubes for everyone involved. So Patrick finds the envelope that Art ran past and he suggests that they could mole and get people to suspect them. Art tells him to go ahead to see what he's going to do. And Jan says it was a rare bit of teamwork on Beast to Mole. They complete the route with a little over a minute left on the clock and they declare their six bags to Peter Jan giving them 3,000 euros of 3,000 for the challenge, 4,250 of 7,000 for the episode, and 13,490 of 38,150 for the season so far. Papine and Anna then share notes. Apparently Karen was trying to move them on too quickly. She says that she was keeping an eye on Art due to his photos. He was being properly weird when driving. I believe Anna referred to Art's photos as ugly photos. I mean, they were, if you could focus on them enough. <laughs> and it is now time for the test. 20 questions about the identity and actions of the mole. Whoever knows least goes home except for the mole who can never go home. Anna is exempt from doing this test because the black exemptions aren't a thing anymore. Karen says she's aware of the 20% chance of seeing a red screen. If Anna isn't the mole, then two people are already immune from this test. And she's on Yan. Pine says that Arthur's been mulling a lot recently. He did it to confuse the others and strengthen his own position, and suspects Karen. Art isn't sure if he still suspects Yan. There are times that he's super suspicious, that it is too obvious that it could be him. But he does suspect Yan in the end. Yan says that Sundos hasn't done much. It could be mulling, but she's not done any active mulling. That is a legitimate strategy, though, and he does plump for Sundos in the end. Sundos is following the money... Karen and Yan aren't the mole, but Art hasn't put any money in again this episode, and she suspects him. And Patrick says that it's really hard to distrust Art because they get along, but he was being very weird with his photos, and he suspects Art. And the reason that I end all of those suspicions with who they actually suspect is, in a very weird thing, we actually see who everyone puts as Vias de Mole at the end of their tests here, which we never yeah. get in any episode normally. They have a special scene of, I suspect Sundos, I suspect Karen, I suspect Art, and we never usually get that. So it's really interesting. So it'd be really interesting to try and work out why they chose to do it here. Yeah, then Yan says, yeah, I suspect, uh, I, I suspect uh, Mariana. Because the other thing is, normally you'd expect them to do something like this if everybody had suspected Yan and then it was a big shock that he went home. But only one person puts him as their question 20 answer, which is Art. Well, Karen says she suspects Yan, too. There is, Karen says Yan, 
Soundosus suspects Art. Epine suspects Karen. Art suspects Yan. Yan suspects Soundos. Patrick suspects Art. Yeah, you only see two people who say they suspect Yan in the end, rather than literally everybody else. And Art ends the test segment by saying that in this game, anyone can deceive you. And presumably due to the rain, the execution just happens in the lounge of their hotel. It's like a living room. It looks like an early 2000s Big Brother house. It really does. It's so strange when you consider that normally they try and pick somewhere atmospheric. And then last episode you have on the top of a mountain where fog is rolling in so you can't see anything. And then this episode you have it basically just being in their lounge. Or uh, Peter Yang could have said, welcome, welcome to the site of our execution. This is Ruben Dario's living room. Thanks for hosting us, Ruben. You just kind of expect a voiceover to come over and go, Big Brother House, this is Davina, you are live on Channel 4, please do not swear. <laughs> so, yeah, we see that Anna is sat next to Peter Yang for the execution, and she says she's using her exemption to observe people as they get their screens to try and work out who the mole is. Karen, Patrick, Pepine and Sundos all get green screens leaving Art and Yan as the vulnerable two. Yan is the fifth person to get a screen and is the red one, and he's sent out into the storm, never to be seen again. And I had forgotten that he leaves with three yokers. Yeah, he just starts taking off his clothes, and then he's like, oh, the reason I'm taking off my clothes, there's three yokers wrapped in it. And there everyone's like, save them for later. This is later. This is episode five. Yeah, that's what Samdos said, yeah. This is later. <laughs> this is episode five. This is the last episode when anyone has any specific advantages, so you know there are going to be more coming soon. You absolutely have to give yourself the best chance to save yourself here. Not to mention somebody was exempt, so if Anna had the lowest score, uh, you can't even you can't even beat her on this quiz. If Anna isn't the mole, then two people were exempt in this test, giving you a one in five shot of going home. These are the odds that you should be playing advantages on if you have them. And if nobody has an exemption next round, his odds of surviving the execution would be the same as this episode. Mm. It's an absolutely boneheaded move for, let's be honest, a quite forgettable character, even by his archetype. Oh, yeah. Jan was cast as the hot one, but that's basically all he was. And even then, you know, you've got Art there, and we just had Tim Ackerman in Japan. So he's not even really that good at being the hot one. Jan's most memorable moment is being swamped by Salvadorian schoolgirls. Nobody remembers him for anything else. And people should remember him for his boneheaded move of not using his three yokers, but nobody remembers him. <laughs> How does he not just use at least one of them? And the thing about this season seems to be that they are not really telling us where any of the yokers are. We know where the exemptions are, but we've had it twice now where we've just been surprised by people still having yokers because we've not seen them play it. And the pinnacle of it is Yan going home and saying to Peter Yan, oh, by the way, I better give you these back and bringing out three yokers, which on any test is basically enough to save him when nobody is convinced of who the mole is yet. Apart from him, evidently. And he went all in on one person since the beginning. He went all in on Sundas and went home. I mean, it, it says something that even Peter Yan can't believe he still had Jokers, and it's not in the top five most contempt things he's shown in this episode. No. 
like this is a tour de force of Peter Yan contempt moments, and Yan's yokel debacle doesn't even scratch the surface of them. There's been other times where people have gone home with yokers, right? Yeah, but never usually that many. It's usually one or two. Yeah, not three, where it's like, you could have just thrown one on this quiz, or two. I cannot think of a person who has gone home with three or more yokers that isn't Yan. Neither can I. Who let the exemption slip away? Was that Splinter? Didn't Splinter really screw himself over? Splinter didn't get the exemption on the Wheel of Misfortune at Final Four. You might be thinking of uh, Sahil, who didn't play his green exemption. Oh yes, Sahil, yeah. I knew it was somewhat recent. But in terms of Yokers, I can't think of anyone who's gone home with three or more other than Yan. Yeah, so he'll, he was in the Albania season, right? He was, yes. Him and yeah. Frazier both saved their exemptions until uh, until the very last second. And he went home with his green exemption, and she very much did not. And then she just coasted through to the finale. Because that, that, one, that one was a calculated risk. Here with Yan, it doesn't seem like... Even his logic here was really odd. Where Peter Yan says, why? Why didn't you use them? And then Yan starts off with a, oh, why not? But then he says, "Oh, I was so sure. I just put everything. I put all my money on one horse, and then in a bit of editing genius, it cuts to Yan riding on that one horse." He doesn't even have the excuse of Yoka's being that new a thing at this point. They had been in Vidum for a few years. Yeah, and the fact that, he, and also that he he's gone all in one person since what episode two? Was he already all in by episode two on somebody? Well, he was definitely all in in this episode, which, as we've mentioned ad nauseum, you don't go all in until at least, like, final five. But he had those big confessionals saying, I'm all in on one person, I'm all in on one person. So it's either episode two or episode three where he was all in on one person. So he's like, well, I don't need these yokers then. Well, if you don't need them for later, use them now then? you have. I, I don't get that. Was he... Was his plan to never use them? The only argument I can think of is maybe he wanted an accurate portrayal of his score and whether he got a green screen or not. Because obviously if you play the Yokers, it it skews whether you actually would have got a green screen or not. But it still doesn't even rectify his boneheaded move here for me. And then he knows there's going to be another non-Olim coming up, because I'm sure they all know how many rounds of play there's going to be. So that's one less round that it's not smart to use as Yokers on. Yeah, I think they were warned that it is ten rounds plus the reunion rather than nine, as is standard. Yeah, so just a lot, and nothing's been offered in terms of individual rewards since since that path challenge, right? Yeah, since the path of temptation. Yeah. It's the only time anything's been offered so far. So he could effectively, you know re-up on Yokers after he uses these three by next round. In theory. In theory, yes. But just, yeah, just a string of really bizarre decisions here. It would be different if he had a decent explanation as to why he didn't use them, but he, he even struggles to come up with that. So not only did he not use any of his three Yokers, but he went all in on one suspect. Like he, he was asking to be executed. I know we talk a lot about forgettable characters, but even by his archetype standards of basically just being there as the eye candy, he is 
super forgettable. I had completely forgotten that it's him who goes home in this episode. And the only reason that I knew he made it to this episode was because of Bindle's love of that gif. And Yan being very visible in that gif alongside Art. Yeah, if it wasn't for that gif, I probably would have thought he'd be out in episode three and then just been shocked the last couple of weeks. Like I couldn't remember whether it was him or Miriana who went home first. Yeah. I knew it was those two next. I just couldn't remember in what order. So here were my suspects going into the execution. Number one, I had Anna. Number two, Pepine. Number three, Karen. And then a big gap. Number four, Patrick. Number five, Yan. Number six, Soundos. And Yan says that he was so sure of his mole, he didn't need to use the ochres. He obviously bet on the wrong horse. And in a slight thing that amused me, as he leaves, there is a policeman standing outside, because obviously Yan is a security risk. Well, they're thinking he's going to try and flee the country by horse. Well, it's, like, it's like how during the photo challenge, he was like, how many is people who don't like you playing nice? Let's find a policeman. Harmony. So, talking of harmony, next time, more rain and mistaken directions, the group Harmony breaks down, and Pepine insists on seeing his screen. So, who do you think is going home next, out of interest, Saunders? I think... I think Karen is going to go home next. Interesting. Because she did say after Jan went home that he was her mole, and that two of her moles have already gone home this season. Yeah, now she'll be completely disoriented and lost. And one teaser I will say is that the middle challenge next week is pretty unique in in Vidum. And is one that I believe they adapted for Australia 6. Yes, they did. It's quite a good challenge. Yeah, it's quite a good challenge. It's one of the few that Australia 6 didn't ruin, mainly because it's pretty much impossible to. But it's incredibly unique in one of the qualities that they they add to it and how they tell that story. Have you guys got anything else you want to say? I think we've pretty much eulogised Jan, so... No. Good. In that case... Goodbye, Jan. We forgot about you already. And thank you for listening to our VS Mole 2011 recap. We'll be back next week to continue the hunt for an old mole in El Salvador and Nicaragua. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram, where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact us at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at Logs of Quacky. Bindles is a grim recapper. And I'm MJ Helmstone. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash rtvwarriors. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next of flavoring. How many ping pong balls can you fit in a podcast?